Well, good evening, Grace Church. Great to see everybody here tonight, and uh, so thankful you're here. And uh, I'm kind of at that point where I should be glad when youth camp's over. We can get, a, get all of our people home. Amen. So uh, we pray for them, senior camp week, and uh, we again have a host of our church families, young people, uh, at the campground, and I'm very happy about it. And uh, even some of our adults are working in the kitchen and helping, and I think it's a wonderful thing. And actually, we'll bleed into our Bible study here shortly. And uh, But great to see you. Thank you for being here. And uh, I'm thankful for uh, the way God met with us this past Sunday. And uh, I believe that he talked to some people here this past Sunday, and I don't believe we've seen the the end of that. Uh, I do want to manifest the mercy of God through an attitude of appreciation and gratefulness. Uh, God is very kind, and uh, I think we owe him a debt of gratitude for his kindness, for his long-suffering, his patience, uh, what have you. Uh, let me make a few announcements. This coming Sunday, I'm very excited about it. Brother A.J. Holloway will be here uh, speaking for us in the 11 o'clock service. And uh, I'm excited about that. So make plans on being here Sunday. And uh, we're having another baked goods auction uh, in the A Center uh, after church Sunday. Not in the lobby, but in the A Center. And uh, if you would like to, to bring something uh, that can be auctioned off, let uh, Tanya Coley know, and uh, she would appreciate it. And the recipient of your act of mercy would appreciate it as well, as your baked goods will be brought, sold, and brought home for people to consume to their own detriment. But that's their business. What can we say? I should be a little more positive and promotional, right? Just can't help the reality thing. It just bleeds through periodically. And I'm quite sure Sister Murph and I will take care of our needs along that line, needs as well. Thank the Lord. So remember uh, the baked goods auction this coming Sunday after church, after altar service. And then next Wednesday night, a week from tonight, uh, we're having a Move the Mission ice cream social in the Ace Center next door. We're kind of overdue for something like that. It's been a long time. Uh, my brother Tom used to say all the time, what is it, ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Is, it, is that how that saying goes? I thank you for a little bit of a response to that uh, because this past Sunday I thought I was talking to a room full of mannequins. Uh, just tried to be a little <laughs> for Father's Day and you get that look. So thank you. And uh, so we want to continue the movement of sweets. Uh, so about the time you run out of what you bring home Sunday, we will have more for you on Wednesday night. So we're taking care of you, trying to keep you, well, I'll, I'm not going to say that. Just trying to keep your uh, taste for sweets satisfied. So we can say we are a very sweet. Did y'all want me to stop this? I can go on. I have... Other things I can say tonight, but I'll remember the ice cream social. Uh, I've expressed to several people that I don't know of a congregation more fun 
to tease with on occasions than this one. It is worth the expression that I get on your face. It is so worth it. They are like, what in the world is that man talking about? And uh, But then when you figure it out and that light comes on in your head, you're just amazed by the wisdom and the knowledge and how it enhances your life, right? So, okay, we'll quit wasting time and uh, we'll, we'll move forward. Um, there are several needs that I want us to pray about. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be hesitant to call names. I will with a few. But uh, as a matter of fact, if you would stand with me tonight, I'd like to have us pray. Um, our, our sweet, sweet friends, our good friends in Lake Charles that consistently watch our live stream uh, virtually every service, uh, Larry and Betty. Uh, Betty has been diagnosed with a real rare form of cancer and um, it is so rare they have no idea on how to treat it uh, there's no past record or precedent set for treatment and um, I think Betty is um, in her late 70s I think and uh, certainly at an age where this is not a convenient time or a convenient season he has asked us urged us to please pray uh, in a text today, he said, if there's anybody else you know that can pray, just get everybody praying that you can. <clears throat> and uh, so we want to pray for Betty and Larry tonight, some of the sweetest people that I know that I've ever met. And uh, if we could pray for them. Then we have some other situations going on here at Grace Church that we just need a divine intervention, just need for God to, to do what only God can do, and that's to intervene and just take care of of things as only he can. So if you would tonight, let's take a moment. Let's reach out to the Lord tonight, shall we? Let's all pray together. Jesus, we love you. And we're thankful, God, that no matter how, how much we perceive our back is against the wall with what seems to be impossible, you always have something that you can do. There's, there's always an answer with you. There's always a, a process. There's, there's always a way out. And I pray, God, today as we lean on that comfort, as we lean on that assurance that the will of God would be done, that the hand of God would be made manifest in the situations that we've mentioned. Uh, Betty and Larry, they need you right now. Dear God, they need you right now. And I pray this tonight that you would hold them in your arms, that you would wrap them up and be kind, be merciful, that the will of God is done. We pray that you minister to Betty, that you would heal her body, that you would be good to her, that you would minister to these faithful, faithful people that have loved you all through the years and have served you without bitterness, without sadness. They, they love you dearly, and I pray, God, that you would honor that, that you would remember them for that. The situations at Grace Church, we pray that the hand of God would be made manifest that you've got our footsteps, our minds. I pray, God, that we could be close to you tonight, stay close to you, and that we would feel your presence close to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Thank, thank the Lord. Look at your neighbor and tell him I'm glad to see you. And then you may be seated. Thank the Lord. <clears throat> I want to read tonight. I want to continue our study
Uh, of course, I've been out of pocket for the last two Wednesday nights at the campground, but I want to continue the theme that we've been talking about, our purpose as a church, hashtag we're coming. And uh, I want to read a verse of scripture found in, in Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, I mean the church was growing and growing and growing. And it seems like it always happens when you hit a peak of revival, when you are hearing from God, God is moving and doing amazing things. The Bible said it happened to them in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. There arose a murmuring. There were people that began to complain. Uh, the Bible said there arose a murmuring of the Grecians, the Greek people against the Hebrews or the Jewish people because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I think it's apparent and obvious what the scripture is saying in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. But just to give you a brief overview of it. Um, I'm not sure this was. The, the, the Jewish people were being accused or the Jewish church was being accused of prejudice or bias. I don't think that was going on. Uh, I don't read that here. But the Grecians were murmuring against the Hebrews. The Greeks were murmuring against the Jews because the widows of the Greek people were neglected. The reason I say I don't believe this is necessarily a, a prejudice or a bias on the part of the Jewish people is all, these two cultures were totally different. Uh, the Jewish people had their own very, very uh, intact, if you will, a very established culture. And so did the Greek people. And uh, apparently as these two uh, nationalities started coming together in church, the needs of one culture pointed out the lack of need perhaps in the other. And I guess because the, the Jewish church, the book of Acts church is what I call it. That's where it started. Um, mostly obviously populated by Jews, at least at this point. They were reaching outside of the Jewish people uh, to all kinds of nationalities, and it was becoming, I wouldn't call it an international church, but on their level it was. It had all different countries and nationalities that were attending. And now you begin to see the needs and the demands of all the different cultures that were represented in the church and this was a part, apparently, of the Grecian culture uh, that they felt like the women who had deceased husbands should be taken care of, at least to some extent, by the church. I find their approach to this issue interesting. Uh, I don't particularly read in Scripture where 
they approached the Jewish leadership of the church and said, hey, y'all ain't doing nothing for our widows. And the Jewish leadership said, we don't care about your widows. I don't read where any of that happened. I don't read where they met in the conference room. I don't read where they had some kind of a gathering at lunch, a business lunch, and discussed this issue. But they just, the Grecian people just started complaining about it. Maybe that was a part of their culture. They just complained about everything. I don't, the Bible don't always go into these details. I'm just trying to make the story relevant to where you and I can understand. I want to say to Grace Church, it's imperative that we understand the culture of people that come to, that attend Grace Church that may be different from the culture we was raised in. Now you say, well, we all live in the United States of America. We live in Louisiana. We live in Cajun country. We live in this and we live in that and whatever. That's all true, but that doesn't mean that every family dynamic is the same. It doesn't mean the needs of every family dynamic is the same. And where you may understand the needs of a mother and father on one level, somebody else may understand the needs of a mother and father on another level. And I believe that's where it's important. I'm, I'm thankful for this story in the Bible because it sets a precedent that while we're preaching salvation to people, it's also important for us to understand the cultures that people are coming from. And I, I, I can say honestly, I can say very transparently, we do our best here at Grace Church to understand that. Uh, we have people from many different walks of life, many different uh, styles, if you will, of upbringing. We have older people who were raised under strict, almost abusive type parents. And then we have younger people whose parents were non-existent. And you have to overlap and, and, and try to, to make all of that work. And I'm thankful that the Bible answers this, that the Bible addresses this situation and does make it a part of apostolic responsibility to understand and do our best for the church to do its best to accommodate the needs, not only needs of salvation, but cultural needs. I don't read where these widow women were in church or not in church. I don't read whether they were good women or bad women. We don't know anything about them. All we know is that their husband was deceased. And the Grecian people was making it clear that we wished our church had some ability to help them. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about here tonight? Uh, a more of a response, if you understand, would be helpful to me right now. Do you all understand what I'm talking about here tonight? Okay, thank you. So the answer to that was the 12 apostles called the multitude of the disciples, and I'm going to assume the Grecian converts, called them unto them and said, Is it not reason that we should, not leave, that we, uh, should leave the word of God and serve tables? I believe what the, the, the writer is saying here is we have a job to do. God has called us to do the job that we're doing. And we physically, mentally, emotionally do not have time to take this on. It wasn't selfish. It was just being honest. It was being real. People have limitations. The church was exploding in growth. And for them to try to keep it organized, to keep it headed in the right direction, I believe this is a very worthy statement. And I love the answer 
I love the answer. I love the solution that was given to this, to this situation. The disciples that were called by the twelve were asked, were told, you look among you and find seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom. And you appoint them to handle this business. When the apostles said that we're not going to leave the word of God to serve tables, that's not a demeaning statement. It just simply means that we have a task here that is so enveloping. We do not have the wherewithal right now to take this on to. Y'all follow me? So you appoint seven men. It's interesting that he chose seven and not twelve. These 12 men were accustomed, at least most of them, to the concept and the principle, the precedent that Jesus set by 12 disciples, now 12 apostles. But he said, you choose seven men. And at the rate the church was growing, apparently these seven men were going to stay very, very busy. As this vision developed, as the direction the church was going in now, as that developed, I'm sure it, it, it grew to include other things because later on in the New Testament, the Bible talks about widows and orphans. So they took on orphans. So it grew from one thing to another and to another and to another. But the qualifications of these people that were appointed, they weren't voted on, they were appointed to do this. The qualification, I think, is amazing. Number one, they have to be seven men of honest report. Number two, they have to be full of the Holy Ghost. Number three, they have to be full of wisdom. Once this was taken care of, the apostles made it clear, we're going to go back now to what we were doing. So we're going to do what God has called us to do, and now we want you to do what God is asking you to do. And if we can both work together, your job and our job is going to be equally as important as the other. But I can't do yours and you can't do mine. So I'll do mine with all of my heart. You do yours with all of your heart. Does that make sense to everybody? So the Bible said, now to continue to unpack this, the Grecians were murmuring. To murmur is to mutter or grumble in a low undertone. I'm thinking right now of two groups of people that are very qualified to murmur. It's 13, 14-year-old teenagers and very disgruntled husbands who's been married a long time. I wish if she only knew what I've been doing today. If she knew how tired I was, if she only knew what I was going through, if she only knew what I... Honey, what did you say? Oh, nothing. I'm going to take care of it, honey. Whatever you just asked me to do, I'm going to take care of it. Murmuring, classic definition. Them apostles, them Jewish preachers, they only care about them people. They only care about their people. They don't care about our people. They don't care about our widows. And they're just grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. Don't do that. Don't do that. Meet with the people who can do something about it. And let's find a solution. Let's find a method. Let's get it worked out. I want to say at the very beginning of this presentation tonight, I am absolutely preaching prevention is better than cure. 
because this does not go on here at Grace Church, to my knowledge. Every once in a while, we'll get a squeaky wheel, but it's not very often. It's not very often, and you'll understand what I mean by that in just a minute. In the Bible, interestingly enough, there were seven times that the Bible recorded murmurings in Israel, all in the book of Numbers. They, could, they murmured, murmured about the way they were going from Egypt to their promised land. They murmured about the food. They murmured about giants. They murmured concerning their leaders. They murmured about the divine judgments. They, they murmured about the desert they were in. They murmured about the food. And the last thing they murmured about was food. That seems to run common in just about every culture, don't it? If the food's not good, you're going to let somebody know about it, whether they can do anything about it or not. And, uh, I mean, I've complained to my grandsons about how horrible different restaurants are and, like, they can do anything about it. I mean, it, but that's what we do. But Paul responds to all of that in the New Testament and says, Don't do it. Neither murmur ye, he said in 1 Corinthians 10.10. 10. And then in Philippians 2.14, he took it a step further and says, Do all things without murmuring. Well, I don't think Paul was married either, so we'll just leave it right there. Um, but the problem, the, the chasm that had to be bridged between the Hebrew leadership and the Grecian people was the neglect of widows. The problem in rectifying that situation was there was too much work for the pastors to do by themselves. They had to have help. This is very reminiscent of when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt However many people it was. I've heard from a million to three million. I don't know how many it was. Uh, that's a lot of people to take care of by yourself. And uh, who was it? His father-in-law that said, look, I have an idea. Pick people that can handle 100 people and pick people that can handle 50 people and pick people that can handle this many people and let them do a lot of, their, uh, a lot of this work for you. And he did, and it worked. And I wonder if this is the example that the apostles fell back on in Acts chapter 6. So God's solution to this problem, and I'm going to use this word here, and again, it's not a problem here at Grace Church. It is at other churches. I, I know from experience in other places that I know the pastor very well. God's solution was to appoint deacons. I'm terrified of that word sometimes. Everybody say deacon. The reason I'm terrified of it is because in modern-day religion, that word has come to mean something that the Bible never intended for it to come to mean. Now your silence is understandable. <clears throat> You're afraid to say anything. Okay, let's, let's go with it. The word deacon comes from a Greek word, diakonos, which literally means a servant. Everybody say servant. One called to serve. One called to wait on. A deacon means an attendant. A waitress, a waiter at a, a restaurant. A flight attendant. You get on the airplane, they show you how to buckle your seatbelt. I wonder if they ever think people will ever get enough knowledge of that that they won't have to have somebody show them. We had seat belts since the late 60s. Anyway, 
But that's what a deacon is. It's someone to serve. They're called to serve. They're called to wait on people. They're called to attend people. These men were to be of honest report, having a good testimony inside the church and outside the church, to be full of the Holy Ghost, meaning to have a real relationship with God, and to be full of wisdom, meaning having the knowledge, the experience, the ability, the spirituality, the mentality, the emotional structure necessary to take care, to appropriately take care of women whose husbands were deceased. That is quite a resume. That is quite a requirement for people to do that job. And I believe as the church began to develop, God wanted to set the mark of those or the standard of those who served in it to be as high and appropriate, as applicable as possible. So now that you understand the word, the meaning of the word deacon, the word deacon does not refer, let me say it this way, and the word deacon aha does not aha refer aha to aha. Y'all feel me yet? Does not refer to an official church board position. That is not where the word deacon comes from, and I'm going to prove it to you in just a minute. Does not mean an official church board. I've, I've heard it. I've met them. And preaching revivals years ago, I'm Brother Smith, and I'm a deacon in this church. Okay, would you mind going over there and pick that piece of paper up off the floor and go throw it away? And on your way, shake hands with about four people on the way back. On your way back, and during altar service tonight, if you'd come up here and start praying with everybody, that would be appreciated. But that's not the role of the modern day deacon. I'm sorry. Did I just say something? Uh, um, not a problem here, but. God bless the pastors that put up with it because I know a bunch of them. Uh, and to try to change this in churches where it's already established, you will split your church, I can promise you. Let me move on. I'm meddling now. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul said he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word for in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of a ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word for literally is translated so that. It's a conduit. It's not a position to tell and to instruct and to have authority. It's created so that as a result of the what is called fivefold ministry is a result of that being in place. The byproduct of it being in place is you have the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. I want everyone to understand verse 12. This is not a threefold job description of God's fivefold ministry, but it's God's plan for leadership. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. He gave these different ministries 
to develop people in the church to help and assist with that ministry. We call it assistant pastors. I call it a ministry team. We call it leadership. We call it team ministry here. We call it serve team ministry here. We call it serve team leaders. I can't, as one man, do, not nearly do, a small part of everything this church does. It's not physically possible. There is a host of people sitting in here tonight that have various job descriptions, for lack of a better word, that help. And I'm going to get into more detail about that in just a minute, trying to watch the clock. Verse 12 is not a description. It's a so that. When verse 11 is in place, verse 12 happens as a byproduct of it. Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. Now watch this. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps. Everybody say helps. Governments. Everybody say governments. Diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The answer to that is no. Everybody doesn't do all of that, and there's not one man that does all of that. It takes a whole big collective effort to make all this happen. Paul's style is to use rhetorical questions that imply negative answers. In Romans 3.3, he said, he asked, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? I think it's a genuine question. We may have people here tonight that don't believe. But that's not going to hinder the faith of God working in the church. It still works through those that do believe. Is that a fair statement? He said in Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Question. Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? He said, God forbid. So implication one in the, the verse I read a moment ago, not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all are workers of miracles, etc. Implication number two is that since helps and governments are accepted, it follows then that anyone can be a part of, of the helps or governmental process of the church. That's what God intended for the New Testament church to be. Not to be board run. Not to be pastor run. You'll understand as we continue to go here. During the Dark Ages from, what, 300 A.D. to 1600, 1700 A.D., a distinction during that time was made between clergy and laity it was a trick of the devil to reduce and confine ministry. This was first taught, actually in the book of Acts, by Nicholas, who was one of the original deacons. He was one of the original seven in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. He was not content with having a ministry, but wanted to have a role of pastoral authority. But his teaching that exalted pastors above measure 
actually reduced the overall effectiveness of the church drastically and is still happening in our culture today. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible said, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. This comes from this Nicholas man. God said, I hate that doctrine. In reality, what God intended, very broad stroke I'm painting right now, but in reality, every member of the church, I believe to this day, has a ministry on some level, and we teach that often here. Everybody does. Not everybody feels that way, but everybody does. The saints are the ministers, and the pastors are the administrators, is bottom line what God intended. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit. All these works that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally, as he will. Every member of the church, everyone that's a part of the church has a gift on some level. There's something that everybody can do. Every member has at least one talent. It interests me to this day that you'll have members in your church that have an incredible career, incredible knowledge, have gone to college, graduated from college, some graduated with honors, some barely made it, but they graduated. Um, graduate with honors, have this tremendous ability out in the secular field, but when they come to the church, oh, I can't do nothing. How is that? How is it? It's a deception, I believe, that the devil has played on people. Every member has gifts. Every member has at least one talent. And depending on their God-given ability, every member can exercise either the gift of helps or the gift of governments in some way. So let's talk about that. Now I'm in hurry-up mode. What is the gift of helps or support? Analepis is the Greek word, means to participate or support, but not necessarily in an official capacity or title. We have stressed this here at Grace Church. We have membership. We have people go through four classes, Grace Steps. You go through four classes, you become a member and there's criteria attached to that. But we have people that's not been through Grace Steps that attend Grace Church but still help the church. They still support the church. I can think of several illustrations that, that I, I'm not going to go public with right now. But there are people who have supported and assisted this church in an immeasurable way who's not a member, have not attended one Grace Steps class. This is what the Bible is trying to stress. And then when you have people that become members, when you have people that really commit to the local church and what have you, we do the personality and gifting assessment. We help you discover your God-given gifts so that as you choose to, you can use that gift, you can use that talent, you can use that ability here. So I want you to understand that when we, when we do gifting assessment here at Grace Church and you go through it when you go through membership, we're not necessarily looking for your supernatural gifts, even though that's a little part of it. But rather, we're looking for natural gifts that are sanctified by the power of God in the life of an individual. I'd love to use some illustrations here right now that, that, that you know, and you know very well, and, and some of you are here. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But we have people that attend this church that 
When we have something wrong with a building, they'll come fix it. That happened today. But you may not hear that person give a message in tongues or prophesy or lay hands on somebody and they're healed of cancer. Do we understand that? Which is the greater help? If the church building wasn't taken care of, the campus wasn't taken care of, then how would we gather? If it was poorly taken care of, you'd feel very awkward and uncomfortable about even being here. That's why we want to keep the best of our ability. So you need people who can help, who support. God gave them the natural ability to do that. But then on the other hand, we have people that have supernatural ability that can be used in the gifts of the Spirit. So God uses the natural to be a blessing, thus bringing the supernatural benefit. If the little boy, we talk about the feeding of the 5,000 all the time, but it's very rarely mentioned about the little boy that brought the whole deal to make that happen. Tall Jesus fed 5,000. That's where we began the story that Jesus fed 5,000. But we rarely tell what facilitated that. It was a little boy that just wanted to help in a very small way. What about the lady in the Old Testament that the prophet said, you have any oil in your house? Yeah, how much? Just a little tiny bit. Okay, go collect all the pots you can find. Y'all feel me? That was a natural. That was something she had naturally. So there's a difference between natural and supernatural, and God uses the natural to complement the supernatural. Some gifts of God can be the development of a natural capacity. We offered someone here several years ago. It gets me emotional when I think about it. We offered them a role here at Grace Church. When I offered it, I was sitting in their living room. The person began to just cry, cried out loud, and I thought for a second, what did I just say? I'm, if it's hurting your feelings, I'll take it back. I didn't mean to make you cry or whatever. It wasn't that. The person was so appreciative. said they'd been praying about it. Her and her spouse had been praying about it, had been praying that, that God would just open the door, work something out, and here it is right here. It was amazing. But then they went on to say, I never thought in all the years I've been in church that an opportunity like this would ever come my way. God takes the supernatural to develop the natural. But God also uses the natural to support the supernatural. And it takes both. I feel like you folks are listening and absorbing this. I just feel that in my heart. I want you to also notice, those of you that do wonderful, amazing things around this church, you're never in the spotlight, and your name is hardly ever called publicly. I want to tell you what God did, though. He saw to it that your ministry of helps was worthy to be mentioned right beside apostles, prophets, and teachers. Paul put them all together in one sentence. Your work is listed in the same context, in the same breath, in the same sentence as apostles, prophets, and teachers. There are people who find themselves very busy looking for a spiritual job that they miss God's plan for them. There's people here tonight that are looking for the spiritual job. I just want a part of the anointing. I want a part to feel that anointing. I want an opportunity to be behind the pulpit be in the altars, pray with people, and they're healed, and all of that. I, I, that's what I want. But what you don't see 
what you don't see is what you do virtually every day in helping the people of God go here, go there, go here, go there. That's what God is wanting you to do, at least in this juncture of your life. And that's where you're the most beneficial. There's people here tonight, and not very many, that do this all the time, helping people every day. I had lunch with one of our couples not too long ago that just, just and they didn't mean it to be, sound like, look what I did, look what I did. We have people like that too. But I love the people that just, just share the story and how that person was ministered to. But what they don't say is they were ministered to by me. And I, I appreciate the humility. But I sat there and listened to that and reminded me one, it reminded me again that as much as it's important for me to come up here every Sunday and Wednesday and deliver a message to you, it's just as important in God's kingdom and God's economy for these people to help people every day, sometimes all day, taking them here, taking them there, doing this. And to you, sometimes it feels like it's menial. It's not that important. But God sees every bit of it. And he lists that ministry along with apostles, prophets, I want to applaud this church for your ability. I, I've just started a new Sunday school class, as you all know. I'm having the, the time of my life. I'm enjoying it so much. And it starts off with such a sweetness because Jason and Brandy just have felt led of the Holy Ghost to pick up two dozen donuts on their way to church every Sunday morning for that class. And Man, you talk about a help. <laughs> That is right up there with the apostles, prophets, and teachers. But it's things like that. When you see someone else get up out of the class that maybe didn't have breakfast that morning, not because they're poor, they just have time, and they go back there and fix a cup of coffee and get them a donut, they minister to them. God sees every bit of this. Let me hurry on to a conclusion. So what is the gift of governments? I'll go through this quickly. It's, if I'm pronouncing it right, the Greek word is kubernesis. It's to direct or steer. Paul was familiar with the sea. He was familiar with ships. He had been shipwrecked three times. And he said that a man named Hymenaeus and a man named Alexander had, make, had made shipwreck concerning the faith. They had an opportunity to do something amazing for God, and they messed it up. They ruined it. Using analogies like this one were applied to ships of the day which were steered by many. A ship back then was steered by many. They had the oarsmen on each side and one go faster than the other and the ship's going to turn. You understand that. You had the sailboats, the sails, the, the ships with sails. If the person responsible for those shells weren't on their job, the ship wouldn't move or when it needed to quit moving, it wouldn't. It was, it was all governed. It was all steered by many people, but it was under the leadership of one. I hope we understand that. This word can refer to deacons and elders and so on who help steer the church, but not exclusively. As I referred to earlier, deacons, elders, etc., they, they take it too far oftentimes. They forget their job description. They forget their purpose, and they want to be the pastor. I had an uncle who was a minister in another denomination. He preached at a church one time as a guest speaker. 
and had to show his notes to a pulpit committee before he could get up and preach it. That's what I said. Mm. Not me. Now, if God speaks to them, and then they come and tell me and give me a message, and I know it's of God, that's one thing. But as long as God's talking to me about preaching this church, I don't need a committee along that line. Thanks for your offer, but we don't need a committee along that line, and thank you very much. But we all can steer the church, and we do it through the conduit of unity. We taught on that a couple, several Wednesday nights ago. We can all steer the church through the conduit of unity. It's in our prayer, and it's in our work, and it takes more than one man to steer this church. We have people in leadership roles here that I would trade nothing for. I've asked our trustee board many, many times. We very seldom meet. And I'm glad we don't have to as far as problems and trouble and whatever. But I've asked them, if you see me about to do something stupid, please come talk to me about it. We have serve team leaders that, that will tell me, and I meet with them often. They'll come to my office on Sunday morning. We need this. We need that. This is going on. That's going on. What do you want to do about this? How do we need to handle that? My first question to them is, you're the leader in that group. What do you think we should do? you more hands-on than I am, especially our Sunday school department. I value Farrah Bunch. I value our Sunday school teachers. I value them. When Farrah comes and talks to me, and I'll, I'll flip the thing back around at her. You, 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 you've pointed out something that needs to be done here. What do you think we need to do? She helps steer trustee board does that. Our media booth team helps do that. Our platform people helps do that. I've met with Casey, I don't know how many times, about music and what have you, helping to steer our church environment, whatever. That's her job. We need to steer the church around problems and into revival, and everybody that's a part of the church can help do that. So Paul said, and the landing gear's out right now, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. He said, but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So what are the best gifts? The best gifts are those which enable an assembly to be edified at a particular time. The best gifts are those which enable an assembly to be edified at a particular time. Our church would definitely benefit from helps and governments, and it does. But many people want their gifts to be the ones that get noticed. And I'm going to be very candid and very honest and very transparent and very blunt. These are very annoying people to me. It's an annoyance. It's not a help. It's annoying. You're not wanting to move the church forward. You want to move you forward. And that doesn't help. doesn't help. We're a team here, and we all move in a group. We all move uh, from pasture to pasture uh, as our great shepherd leads. There are many times an artificial division between those who help or work and those who govern direct spiritually. There's oftentimes division between the two. This hurts a church and it's a frustration to the ministry. So many people secretly feel that everyone else should think, feel, act, and become involved in the church ministries exactly like they do. And it'll never happen and it's not going to happen. You cannot take your blueprint for the way you think the church ought to be run and have everybody come to an agreement on that. You want to see where you want to know where that's the most displayed? Go to an HOA meeting. You know a subdivision HOA? Go to one of those meetings. 
and you will find that come to the surface immediately. By God, I know the best thing we need to do. I was on the HOA. I was stupid enough to be president, vice president, trustee, did it for seven or eight years in various positions. Never secretary, treasurer, never one fool the money. But I have listened to people stand up and just make an absolute fool out of themselves because they want it done their way and they want everybody to see it their way. And if you're not going to do it my way, I've seen more people get off the board because nobody would do it their way. That's, you're not there for that reason. In the church, it can happen in the church. It has and probably will in the future. Let me conclude with this. A parable. It's called Animal School. A group of animals decided to improve their general welfare by starting a new school in which the curriculum consisted of running, climbing, flying, and swimming. All of the animals took all of the subjects. The duck was good at swimming and fair in flying, but he was terrible at running. So he was made to drop the swimming class. He was made to drop the swimming class and stay after school and practice running. He kept this up until he was only average at swimming, but average was acceptable. The others, including the teacher, were no longer threatened by the duck's swimming abilities, so everyone felt more comfortable except the duck. I've seen churches do this, take away what people are gifted to do because they may shine a little too bright here and there. The eagle was considered to be a problem student. For instance, in climbing class, he could beat all the others to the top of the tree. But he insisted on using his own method of getting there. He had to be severely disciplined. And finally, because of his non-cooperation in swimming, he was expelled for insubordination. He couldn't swim. The rabbit started at the top of the class and running but was woefully inadequate in other areas because of so much makeup work and swimming, he had a nervous breakdown and had to drop out of the school. The turtle was a failure in almost every course he offered. was offered. His shell was considered to be the leading cause of his failure, so it was removed. This did help his running a bit, but sadly he became the first casualty of the new curriculum when he was stepped on by a horse. Do you see the ignorance and stupidity in that? And I'm amazed at where that happens in various places to people. The fault with this kind of divisive thinking lies with both parties. The spiritual, who are waiting for their chance to be in the spotlight and won't work. And the workers, who back off of the spiritual areas just because of a few extremists. The Bible said, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. The Phillips translation says it this way, the parts which, we, which do not look beautiful have a deeper beauty in the work that they do. So how important is your hand? It's pretty noticeable. But how important is your heart? Some fruit can only be brought forth in the shade. Everyone is important. We talk about Mary and Martha. The bigger the team, the more impact it can have. I want to say to Grace Church, thank you. Thank all of you. Our platform people, 
ministry team, musicians, singers, our lobby staff. They're our front line. They're the ones standing at the door greeting people when they come in with a wonderful smile and a warm handshake. Thank you to our Sunday school teachers, our production booth people. On and on it goes. I'm thankful for this church and that so many of you are involved. And please never think for a moment that what you do is unimportant and unnoticed. We're all here in team ministry. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. Wonderful, wonderful time with you. Enjoyed it immensely. You're dismissed from setting down. And thank you and God bless you. Let's give the Lord some praise, shall we? Let's thank him. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Uh, God willing, have a good night tonight.